0: Psalm 49. I've prepared Psalm 49 and 50, so we'll go as far as we can. Psalm 49, verse 1. This is a psalm of wisdom and understanding. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. So God is uh, having a message here in this psalm for all classes of people and for all the world. For rich and poor, and he says for uh, low and high, and he says all ye inhabitants of the world. So God is calling upon everyone to listen. This uh, message comes from the heart of the uh, from the heart of the psalmist, made wise by the Lord. He says in verse three, "My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and my meditation of my heart shall be of understanding." There's two key words here: wisdom and understanding. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's in Psalm 19, verse 7. The testimonies of the Lord, making wise the simple. James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. It tells us to ask wisdom of God. Uh, that's what Solomon prayed for in 1 Kings 3. Let me read some for you in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 9-11. through 11. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy gro- so great people? Now, now Solomon in verse 7 says, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant uh, king instead of David my father, but, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And he realized the great responsibility that was laid upon him. And he says, Give thy servant, in verse 9, an understanding heart to judge the people. In verse 10, he says, And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because thou hast hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast uh, asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but as asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Now look at verse 12. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like uh, thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise alike unto thee. And then he said he also gave him riches too. But he says, I have given thee the wise and understanding heart. You know, the help of the Holy Spirit was never meant to supersede the use of our own mental powers and the use of that wise and understanding heart that God would give us. That's in conjunction and in accordance with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit works in, uh, in harmony with the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding that God gives. Truth is made understandable through parables. If you look at the next verse... In uh, Psalm 49, I will incline mine ear to, to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. It's made known in parables. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus refers to that in the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel. And verse 35, he says, That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so Jesus taught in parables. And those are the parables of the kingdom of heaven that he teaches in the 13th of Matthew. And his truth is made understandable through parables. And it's understandable to the spiritually inclined. Remember, he said that I've spoken to you in parables that they, that, that, that some of them wouldn't understand. That hearing they might hear and not understand. Seeing they might see and not, not discern. So, but he says, I've spoken to you in parables, and so he speaks in parables that those of his children, those that are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, can understand spiritual truths. And that was his purpose, to give it to those that, that uh, reveal it to those that uh, needed to hear it, and to hide it from those that would not understand spiritual things. If you'll study in the Gospels, you'll find that that's exactly what he uh, purpose with it. When we get down to verse 6, we find some things that money won't do and money won't buy. Look at verse 6. Well, we didn't read verse 5. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? We forgot to talk about the fear of the saints. The saints of God need not fear when troubles come. Troubles will come. Remember Psalm 23 says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Should I? Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? when iniquity of my heels shall compass me about. Verse 6 says, They that trust in in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. In those three verses, we find a lot of things about uh, money. It won't Bring your best friend back. It won't buy or change your relationship with God. We find that uh, money cannot buy one's salvation. The price of redemption is too great for it to be bought with money. The Bible tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. What for is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's Galatians 3.13. Ephesians one seven says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So this is the price of redemption, the blood of Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. The word precious there means costly. We know that he's precious as far as being dear. To us, Jesus is. But when it speaks of His blood, it's talking about the most costly price that could be paid was the blood of Jesus. With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. God devised this wonderful plan of redemption by blood, foreordained in His counsels, sent Christ the Lamb without blemish and without spot, and all of this, and resurrected Him from the dead, so that you and I might have faith, not in men, but in God, that your faith and hope might be in God. And because of His plan, we have faith in God. I was thinking last night I saw a program on the public television station about evolution. They titled it, In the Beginning, and they had the pros and cons of evolution. They had Darwin's theory, you know. And uh, I'm telling you, talk about getting so far off. They get far off. They accuse fundamental Bible-believing people of claiming, in which we've never made such claim. I don't know where in the world they get it. Out of the air somewhere, I guess that the earth is only 6,000 years old. I've never heard any, any real Bible-believing people say that the earth is only 6,000 years old because we have a history here in the Bible of 6,000 years of man, but we don't have the fact that the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was or became without form and void. It was there in the beginning. And it says, darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved or brooded upon the face of the waters. There were waters, there was darkness, there was chaos, and before that, we don't know how many millions or billions of years there were. And people uh, try to interpret for Bible-believing people on the basis of their lack of knowledge, and they accuse us of not knowing anything about science, about the scientific knowledge. Well, I accuse them of not knowing anything about Bible knowledge. You know, this works two ways, doesn't it? If they accuse us of being so ignorant, well, why not turn it around and say, "Well, you folks claim you know about science, but do you know it?" Just like I told you one time. And this may not be in the psalm. I told you one time there's a rock mason working on a. I was building a house up here in the Upper Canyon, and uh, and he was the rock mason. He was laying the rocks on the fireplace there and I was doing I had to subcontract him for that anyway he picked up a little old rock about Soviet and he uh, he was atheist to the core and he knew I was Bible believing and he says and he had this same false idea about Christians and what they believe about the creation and uh, as if the earth is only 6,000 years old which we never profess to believe I don't know some may have but I never did profess that but anyway, he picked up this little rock and he held it up and he says, I wonder how old that little feller is. I said, they're probably millions of years old. I just let it go at that. He looked at him. It's probably millions of years old. But you know, a lot of people are, are, take that line of, of thought about creation. They talk about evolution and we came from monkeys and tadpoles and little things squirming out there in the water, but they never did tell us where the tadpole came from, or where the water came from, where the monkey came from. And they can't go back but so far. And they say, well, we found it come from here. But then what, what about before that? God made the worlds out of nothing. It says, by faith we understand, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are made were not made of things which do appear. He's out of nothing. And God is a creator. And it didn't happen just this blast and this, uh, all these kinds of theories. They have one about the, this uh, that we just kind of mentioned about the little tadpole wiggling around. And they have other one about something out there in space just exploded and then it just flew over here and you had Mars and you had Jupiter, you had Saturn and you had the world and then you had people on it and trees growing and mountains and rocks and rivers and all. It just happened because something exploded it would take a lot to believe that. It would take a lot more faith to believe that than it would believe the Bible, wouldn't it? Anyway, where were we? Down here, we're talking about redemption. The cost of redemption will always be too high for man to pay. And it can only be received as a free gift. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gives it to you absolutely free. You don't do anything to earn it. You do not do anything to deserve it. That's Romans 6.23. And we come down to verse uh, verse uh, 9. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. Okay? Let's read verse 8 in connection. For redemption of their soul is precious. It ceaseth forever. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish, and leave their wealth to others." The wise die as well as the brutish person. In other words, all die. And when they do, all earthly goods have to be left behind in death. It doesn't make any difference how much you have or how little you have. It's going to be left behind in death. That would Rather teach us not to worry about so much earthly gain, wouldn't it? And what you have here on this earth. Because you're not going to have it too long. It says, and leave their wealth to others. Leave their wealth to others. Now, whether you're wise or brutish, the fool and the brutish man or person, it doesn't make any difference. You're going to leave what you have behind to others. Others may use it wisely. Others may squander it. The people you intend to to receive it may not get it at all. The state and the lawyers may end up with it. And you've worried about it all your life, haven't you? The folly of everything that's earned under the sun. Uh, You read the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, I beheld under the sun that there's nothing better for a man to labor with his hands and to supply the food for his family and to enjoy those Uh, physical, economical, and material blessings while he lives. Nothing better than that under the sun. Let's read verse 12 now. Uh, Well, let's read verse 11. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. We've seen enough of that to know houses do not continue forever, don't we? They call their lands after their own names. They're so important they think that their name is going to keep, you know, they, the so-and-so's piece of land. And they'll name it after their own name. first thing you know when they're gone is call someone else's name or take a bulldozer and bulldoze, bulldoze everything down that's on it. Changes changes as far as uh, uh, buildings and, and uh, the... The landscape and everything has changed. We find that you know I could go up here through Ruidosa and and point to spots. Well, just for instance, where that uh, this side of the Ruidosa State Bank on the right, on the right hand side of the road, where that old janitorial supply is. That old building used to be a, a big big uh, lumber yard at one time. It was an Apache theater at one time. In fact, uh, Troy's dad Willie worked at the lumber yard for. For Hobeland and, and also Weems Charlie Uncle Charlie Weems had it when there's a in his Yard There's an Apache Theater and uh, it's been almost it was an old uh, antique store for years and it's and then across the street where the Riodosa uh, office supply is when I was a little boy there was an old building sitting there on on uh, built up on blocks and there was a dry goods store there hardly anyone Riadosa even remembers it Went up some old wooden steps there. And and, and all kinds of things. And all the... Everything changes, doesn't it? This was a cow pasture where I'm standing now. And later a golf course. The only road in was this old road here, the old junction road. Not a thing here in this gateway. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you see, we don't... This land and what we have is just temporal. It's all so temporal. And it goes from one person to another... And really, God owns it all. And we'll get that in the next, next chapter. He owns the whole thing. Tells us cattle on the thousand hills is his, and the fowls of the air, everything else. We'll get that in, in the 50th. Let's go on down here to verse um, 11. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. And verse 12 says, look at this. Nevertheless, man, man being in honor, abideth not. He is like the beast that perisheth. Doesn't last very long, does it? It doesn't mean that, that the soul of man is like, the or the spirit of man is like the beast, but it means as far as earthly things are concerned, when he dies, he's going to die. And he has no control over what's left uh, behind. This their way is their folly. That's what they're depending on, It's their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings, Selah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. The upright's going to be resurrected. The wicked are going to die, and that's all that, that they'll enjoy is what they've had in this life. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. They won't be very pretty after they've been there a while. And when man, when a Christian dies, he's going to be with the Lord later on. The Bible says in verse 15, "But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave." See, He's going to resurrect us. God, he's, the Psalmist says, "For well, God, but God, but God." You know, you get over in the New Testament, Ephesians, I believe it's the second chapter, says, "And you have be quickened who were dead in trespassed and sin." where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit uh, that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom, Paul says, we all, himself as well, had our conversation, manner of life, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he puts us all in the same category, right? But he says, but God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, where would he love us? Uh, remember, Dr. J. Frank Norris <clears throat> had a sermon on but God. It would be a terrible situation for us if it were not but God, wasn't it? And it says here, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For we're not that, we'd be just like the rich in, in death, wouldn't we? We'd be like the wicked in death. For he shall receive me. He's not only going to redeem me from the power of the grave, but he's going to receive us. Jesus said that I'm going to, I'm going to come back and receive to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Then it says in verse 16, Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of this house is increased. Don't worry about him. That's all he's going to get anyway. We should remember that the wicked will not remain forever, and his riches will not remain forever. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. Paul says, I brought nothing to this world and it's certain. He didn't say, maybe I will. He says, it's certain. I'll carry nothing away. Take nothing with you. His glory shall not descend after him. All the glory you had in this life when this wicked man dies. Look, when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. All the glory of this life will cease when he ceases. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. In life he did good, didn't he? He had a place of honor in the world. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. He'll never see the light of day again. He'll never come back to this world and this life. Man that is in honor and understandeth not, is like the beast that perisheth. Man that is in honor, and understandeth not. What is the best thing to have? Verse 3, My mouth shall speak of, of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. The psalmist says, Wisdom and understanding is better than have all the riches and not, not understand. In that last verse, Man that is in honor, <coughs> he may have all the honor that there is in this life. <coughs> and that's all it's going to be. I want you to look at that again. It is like the beasts that perish. Think of the rich man in Luke chapter 12. you remember what happened to him? He says, uh, I have no place to bestow my goods. He had a great crop in the field, and he thought within himself, it's all I and my. Listen, let me read it for you. I and mine. Let me read it for you. Jesus said in Luke 12 verse 15, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And yet we many times think it does. We're sure fooled on we? A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Most of them have become obsolete or lost or rust and decayed. Everything can happen to him, But he says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He had a lot. And he thought within himself. I want you to notice. <laughs> he thought within himself. Notice how many times the pronoun. I and my and myself. He thought within himself, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. There's three times right there. My fruits. And he said... This will I do. He said, This will I do. I will pull down my bonds and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. It's all I and my, isn't it? And then he said, And I will say, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, there you have, but God again. No. But God said unto him, Thou fool, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. God should be our riches. We should find our riches in the Lord. And the blessings of the Lord maketh rich. And by the way, he's the only one that can permit you to have riches. Let me read in the book of Deuteronomy. Turn to the... I believe it's the eighth chapter. The eighth chapter. Look at verse 11. He says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments, and his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, that thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein the fire serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. And thou say, now if you forget, and thou say, thou say in thine heart, my power and my, and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this well. A lot of people say, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this well. Listen, but thou, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee, giveth thee power to get well. It is he that giveth thee power to get well. It is he that giveth thee power to get well. Think of that for a moment. You can't get anything unless he gives you the power. You can't get anything unless he gives you the, the means and the methods and the ways and the skills and the opportunities. In Ecclesiastes, the scripture says, i beheld under the sun that the race is not to the swift, it should be, nor the battle to the strong, and it should be. But time and chance happen to them all. Because in God's providence, he can order things for our good and for his glory. And when he does, it's all right. But if we think we've got it made without God, we're fooling ourselves. Let's turn back to uh, Psalm 50, if you will, quickly and briefly. The 50th Psalm. Look what it says here. It says, The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from rising of the sun to the going down thereof. In other words, he's the judge, he's the Almighty, he's the Lord, or Master, and he has spoken. He said to Abraham, I'm, I'm the Almighty God. He says, Walk before me and be thou perfect. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the, the beginning and the ending. Jesus said, You call me Master and Lord, in John chapter 13. Here's a universal call. It's from the earth, a call the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof, A universal call. And then he says, Out of Zion the perfection of beauty God has shined. Where he is spoken from is Zion or Jerusalem. By the way, God has spoken in times past in different ways, and he's spoken to us nowadays in his Son, says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, God who at sundry times times in diverse manners spake in time passing to the fathers by the prophets listen hath in these last days or latter days spoken to us by his son or in his son through his son and out of Zion the word comes forth it says in verse 3 our God shall come and shall not keep silence a fire shall devour before him and it shall be very compassionate round about him the personal appearance of God notice a fire shall devour before him The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 29, For our God God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And there will be a judgment day. Look in verse 4. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. That he may judge not only people, but his people. The Bible says judgment shall begin first at what? The house of God. And if it first begin at us, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? If God is going to judge us, and he's going to judge us, the Bible says that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It will be a great day of judgment. The Bible tells us that it is appointed that a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. You read verses 5 and 6. It says, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant are with me by sacrifice. Gather my saints. Look at verse 5. Gather my saints. The saints will witness and approve his righteous judgment. We're not only going to appear before his judgment, we're, but we're going to judge with the Lord. There's many judgments in the Bible, many in the New Testament. There's a judgment of the cross where our sins were judged. There's a judgment of the believer when we judge ourselves and confess our sins. There's a judgment of the living nations at Christ's coming. After the rapture, at some point in time, there's a judgment of the saints of God in the Lord's presence, the, the Christian dead that are resurrected, and the raptured saints were going to all stand. Paul says that Christians are all going to appear before the judgment, judgment seat of Christ. The word is Bema. It's a raised platform like when we went to high school the other night and the, and the uh, kiddos received their degrees. It's a place of rewards and we shall uh, be given rewards, or if we uh, do not receive the rewards, we shall suffer the loss of that reward. So it's a bema, our judgment seat of Christ. And we find that there are three places in the New Testament that speak of the judgment seat of Christ. One tells us we're judged according to our works. One tells us we're judged according to our fellowship with the brethren. It says, Judge one another not any more, for we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the other one says we're judged about our whole Christian life. That'll take a lot of foolishness out of our living, won't it? It really will. Life is more serious than people think. It doesn't mean you can't laugh and have a good time and enjoy one another. But it does mean as far as living for God, you better think about things. What to do and what not to do. Because we're going to answer for it before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, Jesus paid for my sins. He did. He paid the penalty of your sins and you're not going to hell. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're you're saved from the penalty of sin by His sacrificial death on the cross. You're being saved from the power of sin by His resurrection life and by His indwelling Spirit. And you're going to be saved one of these days from the very presence of sin when Jesus comes again. But we still shall appear before the, the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And... And our works, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Romans chapter uh, 14, verse 10, if you want to pick up there, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it will tell you three places there that the judgment seat of Christ is spoken of. And one of them is about our service, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, of the foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. It says, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, Every man's work shall be tried. It will be tried as soiled by fire. The fire, the judgment day shall uh, try every man's work. And if any man's work abide with ye, when, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If it's like gold, silver, and precious stone, it's going to receive a reward. If it's like wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to go up in smoke. And it says, Every man's work shall be uh, judged, tried, as to what sort it is. It didn't say how much it is. I believe motive, motive and attitude has a lot to do with what sort it is. And you read the Paul's uh, lessons on First Corinthians uh, chapter 13, 14, especially 13 when he speaks of love, and you'll find that he's talking about motive. He says, "If I give my body to be burned and have no heart, charity, it profits what? Nothing." He says, "If I give all my goods to bestow all my goods upon the poor and have not love, it profits nothing." So motive and attitude behind all that we do, wisdom and understanding comes into the picture, and God expects us to use our heads and our hearts about all that we do. So anyway, back to this. I want you to notice first. 5. It says, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by, by sacrifice. God's people have a covenant by sacrifice. As the Old Testament, they had a covenant of works. But we have a covenant uh, with God, not through Old Testament sacrifices, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you read in Hebrews chapter 10, it'll tell you that we have a new covenant. And it's through the blood of Christ that He has established a covenant with us. In other words, He says that our forgiveness, our salvation, and the agreement that we have a covenant with God and God with us is based upon the sacrifice of Christ. And God says, because I've judged Christ, my only begotten Son, on the cross, and He bore your judgment, I'm not going to judge you. And I'm going to save you. And you have salvation. And you have eternal life. That's the covenant God's made with us. That's the agreement He's made with us. He says, I've agreed to punish my son and he's he's already undergone that punishment. And I've agreed that because He is he has taken your place and He's your substitute, that because He's done it and you've received Him as that savior and that sin bearer and substitute, that I'm not going to judge you and I'm going to save you. Not physically, but eternally. What's your salvation based upon? a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that God says, I'm going to do this for you, and if you will believe on Him and trust Him, I'm going to give you eternal life, and you shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck you out of my hand. I I believe in the covenant relationship of all of God's people. It's not something you've done, not not anything you bargained for. It's a covenant that God has made on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Someone says, how do you know you're saved? I know I'm saved because Jesus died for me. And I know that God says that if He's punished Him for my sins, and He bore my sins, and He's my sin-bearer and substitute, that if I accept Him as my substitute, as my sin-bearer, and trust Him as such, then God says, I'm not going to do it to you. John 5, verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation or judgment, but is passed, already passed, from death unto life. What a, a, a guarantee of exemption from judgment. Do you like exemptions? God says, I'm going to give you an exemption from the judgment, the great judgment that would, would uh, put you into an eternity without God, I'm going to give you exemption from that because Jesus bore the penalty of your sins. I could stay on this one thing the rest of the evening, but I guess i better move on. Let's go on down. Uh, Verse uh, 6, And the heavens shall shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. He's the one that's going to do it. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee, I am God, even thy God. He's going to judge, he judged Israel, the charge against his national people, Israel. And he says, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Their sacrifices and burnt offerings alone without faith and love are meaningless. The externals of religion never please God. People have all kinds of externals, but the in inward is what pleases God. All the externals, you know, we can burn candles and we can have all kinds of flowers and we can do this and that and the other and we can... Make the church house have all kinds of decorations and all, and think that this, you know, God doesn't need that. The Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, the Bible says. But heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, he says. By the way, they stoned Stephen to death for preaching that. The Jews did. They stoned him to death, because that's what he told. And now we come on down, verse 7. 9, he says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. God says, all the beasts are mine. You're not offering me any sacrifices if you don't offer your heart along with them, right? He says, all the beasts of the earth are mine, uh, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains. I know about them. I know every sparrow. I know every... Uh, carrying bird, I know all the fowls of the hills and the mountains and the wild beasts of the field, they're all mine, they all belong to me. And he says, if I were hungry, can you imagine God being hungry? God, uh, who is spirit, being hungry? No, he says, if I were, he puts it in language where we might understand. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He wouldn't have to come to us, would he? By the way, he doesn't have to come to us for anything. You hear people making bargains with God. You don't bargain with God. God is it. He's all. You know. He He makes the conditions and we abide by them. God says, if you'll obey me in certain place, He sets principles and and uh, uh, counsel and He gives us the directions. And if we do what He says we should do, the blessings are ours. If we rebel and we do opposite that, He says, no. You know, that's not the way I have planned it. You say, well, I planned it that way. God says, I, that doesn't matter to me. Said, I did all the planning. You see, God fixes it like he wants it. He says, Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Just give me thanks and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. You know the best thing we can do is call upon God. He, he wants us to call upon him. That's better than giving him sacrifices. God says, I just simply want you to depend upon me, even in the day of trouble. People talk about, oh, I've got this trouble, and this trouble, and this one. Call upon God. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. And he says, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me, because you know that you could not be delivered in this trouble apart from God. Well, our time is gone. I think we'll have to close.